1: السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم وإذ قتلتم نفسا فادارأتم فيها والله مخرج ما كنتم تكتمون فقلنا ضربوه ببعضها كذلك يحيي الله الموتى ويريكم آياته لعلكم تعقلون وَإِنَّ مِنْهَا لَمَا يَهْبِطُ مِنْ خَشْيَةِ اللَّهِ وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ رَبِّ اشْرَحْ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَاحْلُلْ عُقْدَةً مِّن لِّسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي فَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ وَصَلَاتُ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ ثُمَّ بعد ورحمة الله you heard some beautiful recitation from the future head of the Bayna Institute today. Allah Azza wa Jalla encourage our young to develop a love of Qur'an and reward the parents who instill that love in them and make them of the generation that goes far beyond recitation. nafsan
0: fiha, We are now at the concluding tip of the story of the cow. And this is the last ayah. And it actually gives you, in a sense, the background to why this whole thing happened. Why did Musa Alayhi salam tell them to slaughter a cow. I gave you the background actually from the Jewish account, but I didn't mention anything from the Qur'an. This is actually the ayah that describes why this was done. وَإِذْ قَتَلْتُمْ nafsan, When you had killed a person, فِيهَا I'll come back to this word, but I'll translate briefly for now. Then you were pushing the allegation off of yourselves and onto others. That's one of the meanings, that you were pointing the finger at each other while absolving, your, absolving yourselves. I didn't do it, must have been him. I didn't do it, it must have been him. That's the idea, of ad-daraatum. At least one of the ideas behind it. Wallahu And Allah was bound to bring out, or you can even translate, Allah is determined to bring out what you have been hiding. ببعضها, so we said, strike it, meaning take the, the piece of flesh from the animal that's been killed, ببعضها, to some part of the corpse. The ha referring to the nafs that's feminine. So take some part of the flesh of the animal that 's been slaughtered now that, that yellow cow that they finally find, take some of its flesh and then throw it towards or to, towards some part of the murdered murder, murder victim 's body that is how Allah raises the dead and he shows you his miraculous signs so you may be able to understand now this is the basic picture from the Qur'an. In a nutshell, what I've read to you so far, is that Allah says, this whole thing was done because of a murder, that you were not willing to take responsibility for, you were blaming each other, and you were pointing the fingers at, at each other. And Allah's way of solving the problem was a miracle, and that was when you slaughter this animal, its flesh will be thrown onto the corpse, and it will rise from the dead, and actually, point to the murder victim, or, or the murderer rather, and then go go back to death, and that's how Allah will solve this problem, and that's how He shows you His miracles. Now, what's curious, the first curiosity about these ayat is that if this is the reason for which this was done, why would you mention that at the end, not the beginning? I mean this is actually the precursor to the entire story. So it's understandable that in the sequence of events you would expect the Quran to say, Murakubant And so that's actually how the story goes in chronological order. But this order has been strangely reversed so that the the entire story is mentioned first, and then what should be the first page of the story is at the end. So now why is that the case? There are several benefits. At least the most prominent of them should be highlighted now, and that is that Allah Azza wa is essentially telling us that solving the murder was the least of the issues. The Quran's priority is not to tell you a story. The Quran's priority is not to tell you history. There's no name of a town. There's no name of who was killed. It's nafsan. Somebody was killed. Who was the murder, Who was the murdered? And who was the murderer? There's no mention. There's no, there's no description of when Musa salam was told, you know they asked the question, "What kind of cow is it? There's that boy that weighs with me every day. there you go. okay It's distracting, but he's so cute. I can't do anything. I have to wave back. I just okay so <laughs> so you know Allah doesn't describe where Allah spoke to, to you know where Musa salam spoke to Allah, and when they came back, there are so many details that are just skipped. Why? Because the purpose of the Qur'an, young man, that's the last time you cross. So Today is kid's day, I gotcha. So, okay. So, uh, what was I saying? Something about Islam or something?
1: <laughs>
0: Ramadan? Qadr or something? No? Oh, the cow, yeah, the cow, yes. We're going to have so much cow on Eid. Okay. <laughs> so, but anyway. So, the idea that Musa, Ali, lots of the details of the story are skipped, for what purpose? Because the, the point of this entire narrative is to actually first of all highlight two things. One, what were the favors Allah did to you people, to the Israelites? What were the favors that Allah did to you that you overlooked? And two, what were the crimes you committed? And in the list of these crimes, it seems to Allah that the murder is actually less of a crime, and the mockery of His Messenger and the instructions of Allah is a much bigger crime. And so this actually takes a secondary position. And the the original mockery that they committed which is, in a sense, what you will learn later on in this surah, al min al Trial, tribulation, corruption, this is much worse than murder. And so that's actually already pre... It's, that's going to be a summary of this. This is already illustrating that the corruption they were engaged in is far worse even than that one particular crime. But then as you move forward, you, you realize why... Why even did they care to solve this mystery? Perhaps some of the answer lies inside the word fadara'atum, which I tried to explain to you as pushing guilt off of yourself and trying to point the finger at somebody else. La ana It wasn't me, it was him. You know? Now a Sultan Zhu Tudra, they say in Arabic, Zhu Tudra, they say wa suggesting that the, the roots of Daraa when they come in the tadara form, actually means someone who has a lot of preparation for fighting. Like a mighty king is actually Tudra. The, the kind of king that's ready for war. tadara'atum or Iddara'tum, which is the mudram form, means you were actually very quickly, extremely capable, armed and dangerous against each other. One of the implications of iddara'atum is that things were getting out of hand over this out of hand over this murder situation, where entire tribal war was about to break out. And it's, you have to understand, in tribal societies, even the Arab societies, it takes a lot less than a murder for things to get really crazy. It takes a lot less than that. It could just be a few words and <laughs> it's chaos. Now there's a murder that's happened. And depending on who the finger's been pointed at, things can go haywire. So this is one of the implications of mudaraa al-muhalafa. Well, you were all becoming defensive, and at the same time, you were all engaged in serious you know, accusations and opposition. That's another implication of the word. So this, and it's actually يَكُونُ ذَلِكَ فِي الْحَرْبِ The linguistic implication of it is this word is used in context of war, and when great, great conflict takes place. In other words. This murder wasn't just any murder, this was a murder that was gonna rip this society apart. And on that note, it should be mentioned that Qur'an's teachings are so beautifully interconnected. Later on in this surah, you're gonna see, وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقِصَاسِ حَيَاتٌ وَلَكُمْ فِي qisas حَيَاتٌ And the idea of qisas for us is actually, you know, uh, an eye for an eye, the biblical account for an eye for an eye. But the law of Qisas in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible, was actually this, that first if someone's murdered, then you'll have to perform this ritual of slaughtering the animal, sprinkling the blood or some of its flesh on the deceased, then by miracle of Allah they will rise from the dead and point. And that's actually how you're going to figure out who committed the murder. But look look at the phrase hayatun. In 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 Performing Qisas, there's going to be Hayat. For us, there's a kind of life also, but it was literally life for the Israelites. There was somebody who was brought back to life every time Qisas was to be performed. And this is actually once again, articulated multiple times in the Torah, even as it exists today. But anyway, You started pointing the fingers at each other. Another important point to note here is, who's killing who? This is Muslims killing Muslims, in the presence of a Prophet. And the pres- Musa is among them, and yet they're so corrupt that they they're engaging in the killing of each other, and then on top of that, blaming each other, absolving themselves. Allah is teaching us that the crime, the, the the disgusting crime of a Muslim being willing to kill to shed blood of another Muslim, is actually something inherited from the corruption of Banu Israel. When you find that the spilling of blood becomes easy, and you know no, nobody cares or wants to take responsibility then this is an indication that a society is dying actually. And by the way, until Qisas happens, in other words, until there is retribution, and there is sanctity of life preserved, and justice preserved for human life in a society, then that society is as good as dead. And that's why, notice what happened. This one murder, if it wasn't solved, what would have happened? Mass death. There's gonna be like infighting, and there was gonna be all kinds of chaos, and lots of people were gonna die, right? What does Allah Azza say about the, the gravity of murder? كَأَنَّمَا قَتَلَ النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا فَكَأَنَّمَا قَتَلَ النَّاسَ جَمِيعًا If you kill a person, it's like you killed people all together. As if you killed humanity all together. And by the way, that ayah was also given to Banu Isra'il. And that ayah is not just in the matter of the sin of on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, on the Day of Resurrection, Allah will say, this one murder is the equivalent of the murder of all of humanity. But also in the worldly sense, when murder, you get away with murder in a society, then you have opened the floodgates for more murder. That you're killing all of humanity this way. And crimes, anything short, you see, murder is the worst of crimes, right? So anything short of that becomes no big deal, and society starts imploding when people start getting away with murder. And so, وَإِذْ قَتَلْتُمْ نَفْسٌ فَدَّرَأْتُمْ فِيهَا وَاللَّهُ مُخْرِجٌ مَّا كُنْتُمْ تَكْتُمُونَ And Allah is is bound to bring out. I don't say Allah brought out or Allah brings out. He's bound to bring out, He's determined to bring out. The ism fa'il is used here. وَاللَّهُ مُخْرِجٌ مَا كُنْتُمْ تَكْتُمُونَ And this is actually part of the imagery of the surah. You'll notice one of the themes associated with Allah up until now in Surah Al-Baqarah is Allah bringing things out. So, أَخْرَجَ بِهِ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ he, he brought out from the earth using the water, fruits for you. We saw before, فَادْعُوا لَنَا رَبَّكَ يُخْرِجْ لَنَا مما تُنْبِتُ الْأَرْضِ He'll bring out from out of the earth. And يَخْرُجُ مِنْهُ is coming up. We'll see that in a second. That even rocks have water coming out of them. A really beautiful parable in the Surah. But additionally, you've also seen very much in line with this theme. Allah has been describing from the beginning of the Surah, there are those who say that they believe, but they actually have disbelief inside of their hearts. They say one thing, they mean another. Like, you know, أَمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَبِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَمَا هُمْ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ or later on, سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا but they actually don't mean what وَأَطَعْنَا mean is سَمِعْنَا وأعصينا. So that, that's already been a running theme, that Allah brings out what they've been hiding, deep inside of themselves. And actually, what is this entire narrative? It's actually hiding what the Israelites, or exposing what the Israelites have been hiding all along. Just like that, there were those who had committed this murder, that are hiding their crime, and Allah says, Allah is bound to bring out what you've been hiding, but in saying so, Allah didn't just solve the problem of the story. You see if Allah said, Allahu ma kuntum Allah brought out what you were hiding. That's about the story. When you say, Wallahu mukhrijun ma kuntum That's actually saying, Allah is continuing to bring out, and He's determined to bring out the stuff that you're trying to hide. In other words, He points the finger at the Israelites of Medina, not of the ancient times, but also of Medina, and says, just like the, I can bring the dead back to expose criminals, I'm gonna bring out what you've been hiding in your books. The revelation that you've studied, and as a result of which you are convinced he is Muhammad Rasulullah and you're hiding it from people, this is fitna, and that's worse than qatl, remember? So Allah says, I'm bound to bring out what you've been hiding, what you've been concealing. So this is actually a challenge, a transition out of history into the current. And this is one of the most important features, in my opinion, of Allahu'alam. But I see it as one of the most important features of the study of the Qur'an. Allah will talk about history, Allah will talk about nature, Allah will give examples. There are different kinds of ways Allah teaches lessons. But in the middle of those lessons, there's an immediate switch to yourself. He switches immediate, Without warning, He switches to yourself. This was a history lesson. This was take this body, throw it against the thing, whatever that was. And halfway through, actually I'm talking about you. The same thing is going to happen when Allah gives the example of hearts and he compares them with rocks. He'll be talking about rocks, halfway through he'll actually remind you it's actually about you. It's not about, I'm not talking about rocks, I'm talking about you. So he doesn't let you ever disconnect yourself from the narrative. He keeps you connected, subhanahu wa ta'ala, from what is going on in the text. So you don't ever think, oh, I'm, re- I'm learning about history, or I'm learning about mountains, or I'm learning about you know some example, some parable, something abstract, never. You'll find that in philosophy, you'll find that in science, you'll find that in other subjects. You're reading it and it's becoming disconnected from you. Teachers have to go out of their way to give you the kinds of examples or take a break in the class to relate to you once again, to connect with you once again. Qur'an never loses its connection with you. It keeps pulling back, pulling you back in, pulling you back in. Like, fihi Dhikrukum Allah says, in it is your mention, it's talking about you and Allah does not let you forget that. So here He says now, one of the most remarkable ayat, where you, if you keep this principle in mind, He's talking about an incident, but actually talking about current reality. We said, strike it with some part of it. I explained to you strike, the, the it is the flesh of the cow, and ba'diha, the ha the is the nafs, the person who's been killed, right? To follow this instruction. Now, this is not the first time we're seeing this instruction of striking something. We saw Idrib bi asak al Hajar. We saw strike and actually we're gonna see in the next you know, strike with your staff, the rock. No, we already saw this. Fan fajarat Minhu twelve springs came out. We saw before this Allah Azza wa Jalla had parted the sea. And how did he part the sea when Musa alayhi struck the staff? So the idea of striking has already been going on, and you'll notice every time it's about the either the renewal of life or the preservation of life. So when the water was struck and water parted, that's actually so the Israelites could continue to live. When the water was, when the boulder was struck and the water came out, is so they could stay alive. And now the striking is happening again, and this time when the striking of the flesh is happening, the dead is brought back to life, so the society can continue to live. Because if you don't solve this one murder, you're gonna end up killing each other. So their life is being preserved every time a strike happens, every time a hit happens. And this is actually a really important concept in the discourse with Banu Israel, because the conversation is harsh. Allah is sometimes... You know, he, he does strike hard with His examples. He actually literally describes it as thunderbolts falling on them. But sometimes the thunderbolt is necessary for you to, get, to learn your lesson. Sometimes you won't learn it the easy way. You know, Allah Azza wa Jalla is not always going to take the soft tone, He'll be tough as well. And you have to understand when it's necessary for Allah to take the tough tone, He does. And so, in this idea of striking and preservation of life, that continued theme, and so you find what next? al-mota. That is how Allah brings the dead back to life. But Allah did not say, that is how Allah brought the dead back to life. This is one of the examples of the Qur'an saying one thing, but actually it's jawami'ul kalim It's actually this comprehensive speech. So let me list to you the things that are included in here. First and foremost, we've got a murder case in front of us in Israelite history. That's gonna get solved if you do this, because Allah will bring this dead person back to life. How is He gonna testify unless he's been brought back to life? That's the first. The second, the Israelites are being told, this is how easy it is for Allah to bring about resurrection. Because just like He can bring this one person to life, He will bring all of humanity to life. Never forget what then? The Day of Judgment. This is the same teaching that was the first teaching to Musa. Alayhi salam, the hour is coming. And yet, what I, what I keep telling you over and over again, in the entire account of the, the Old Testament, what's been entirely erased? Day of Judgment is gone. It's been erased. And Allah says, even in this story, this is how Allah will bring the dead back to life. And then, if you go even further, Yuhil يُحْيِيَ al الْمَوْتَىٰ is actually talking even now to the Israelites. And is saying, that is how Allah can even bring the dead back to life. So if you think that your hearts are too far gone, and you're a lost cause, and there's no hope for you, if Allah can bring the dead back to life, you're already still alive, your heart can be revived. There's, you, you, you haven't lost hope yet. Kadalika يُحْيِيَ al الْمَوْتَىٰ And he concludes this ayah, وَيُرِيكُمْ And he continues to show you his miracles. He didn't say, araku mayatihi. He showed you His miracles. That would have been just about the past. Qal yuriku mayatihi. He's showing them to you even now. In other words, you saw the water part, you saw the cloud cover over you, you saw the springs of water come forth, you saw you ate the manna and salwa, you've seen all of these things. You've seen the dead person come back to life, but you know what? His ultimate ayat, He's showing you now, meaning Qur'an. All of that is trumped by the fact that now He's showing you His ultimate ayat, وَيُرِيكُمْ mayatihi, And these ayat are different from all the others, because these ayat get you to think. وَيُرِيكُمْ la لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ He shows you His miraculous ayat, His miraculous signs, His miracles, his, his revelations, so you can actually think. Now, at this point, from here on, we have to di- discuss what seems like a philosophical problem, but a very important study in our religion, and that is the, the, the dichotomy of the heart and the mind. When Allah says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ So you can think, He uses the word عَقَل. And the word عَقَل is up here. And just to know some things about the term عَقَل, akala in the Arabic language means to understand, but it also means to tie something up. الْمَرْأَةُ شَعْرَهَا The woman tied her hair. The iqal is the old Arab device that even now the Khaliji's have a rubber version of, right, so that their, their thing doesn't blow away in the air. But originally it was a rope, and the purpose of it was, it was the anti-lock brakes for a camel. This is how you, otherwise you can't just park your camel and go inside Walmart, it's not gonna be there outside anymore. So you have to, you know, use your iqal. In other words, it's called the iqal for two reasons. One, it goes on your head. And where is your aqal? It's here. That's one reason it's called the iqal. The other reason it's called the iqal is it's a means of tying the animal. So, aqala does two things, to understand and to tie up or to restrain. Now, why is that important to understand? When you you translate ta'qilun as thinking or understanding, you assume it to mean something intellectual. Because thinking and understanding are calculated processes. You have to think and understand when you're sitting in a math class or a physics class or an accounting class, or a bio class, or something. You have to think and understand. But when, you, when the Arab uses the word akala, as opposed to tafakkara or fahima or other words, when he uses this word, he's actually highlighting a particular problem, a human problem. And that is, that when we sometimes are emotionally overwhelmed, we don't think straight. If you're extremely angry, you say things without thinking. If you're extremely happy, you do things without thinking. If you're extremely upset, sad, you do things without thinking. If you're extremely sad, you do things without thinking. You know, I have people in my family, They get when they get nervous, they do things without thinking. You know, perfectly good driver, if he sees a police officer, he starts speeding. <laughs> like, oh! And then, he starts like violently changing lanes, like, oh my God. You know? Otherwise, he never breaks the law. Huh? And he gets so nervous by seeing a cop that he just like, you know. <laughs> in other words, sometimes emotions stop you from thinking clearly. The idea of aql is that you tie your emotions up, you keep them in control so that you can think clearly. You with me so far? So aql isn't just about understanding, it's about controlling your emotions and then understanding. So, the ability to think clearly without the bias of fear, of hate, of anger. Sometimes, for example, somebody saying to you something that makes complete sense, but you hate the guy. It doesn't matter if he's saying what makes sense, you hate him. You're not, you can say, no, no. No matter what is said to you, your, your answer is going to be no. Doesn't that make sense? No, it doesn't. But it says right here, two plus two is four, doesn't, no. Not from you it doesn't, you're still stupid. <laughs> now some of you are thinking of your wives right now but don't, just relax <laughs> easy they're thinking of you too so <laughs> but the idea is that when you have any kind of bias overwhelm now why why is that word important for the israelites why is that idea important because the israelites their the rabbis are rejecting rasulullah why what's the rationale in the quran in the beginning khatamallahu ala La ala ala Their hearts are sealed up. I hate him. I don't want to accept an Arab. We're better than him. How can he have revelation? Look at all the evidence. I don't want to see it. Look at the Torah saying this. Musaddi akum. It's confirming what you have. No. No, it can't be. That's it. Pride took over. I don't want to hear it. This is you not using your aql because what's locked up? Kalb. The heart is where anger is. The heart is where fear is. The heart is where doubt is. The heart is where anxiety is or jealousy is. All of the emotions that you can think of, and all of the psychological or spiritual disorders you can think of in the Qur'an's language are matters of the heart. Thinking, reflecting, pondering, gathering evidence, seeking the truth, these are matters of the mind. But clearly in the Qur'an's language, who's in the driver's seat? The heart. If the heart is not clean, you'll get all the knowledge you want. You can have all the evidence in front of you. It will not matter. It won't matter. Allah says, I show you my miracles. So you can apply your aql. What, What does that mean? I show you my miracles because it guides your emotions too. And when it guides your emotions, you're truly able to think. One of the miracles of Allah's book is that when you ponder upon this book, it is both a spiritual experience and an intellectual one it attacks your heart, and it attacks your mind at the same time. It's an incredible thing. It expands your understanding, it it helps you see things differently than you saw before, and at the same time, it brings you to tears. Now, on that note, these are two different faculties inside the human being, they're connected to each other, the heart and the mind, but they're certainly two different faculties. Now, of of them, I just told you the driver's seat belongs in the heart. And I want to give you some examples of that. One, at least from contemporary, just so you guys get it. I've given it a thousand times, I'm not ashamed to give an example, because if it gets the point across, it gets the point across. And the other from right here, from the Israelites themselves. You have medical school students, smart kids, they smoke. And the guy wants to be a lung specialist. (laughs) He's got straight A's, but he smokes. He, every time he he has a call from his mom, when he talks to her about, I want to get married, and she says, not until another five years, and she yells at him, he hangs up, and what does he do outside the dorm? He smokes. And he has an exam tomorrow on the effects of smoking on lungs. And he's going to get a hundred on the exam. But he's still smoking. Why is he smoking? Uh, I just get stressed out sometimes. His mom just makes me angry. I just blow off some steam you know that's why I do it so he does it not because of what's in his mind because what's bothering him in his heart all that information in his mind didn't matter and even at the point of purchase of this pack of cigarettes on the side of the pack the surgeon general gave him a khutbah
1: <laughs>
0: and that didn't matter he still opened up and killed an entire pack stogie stogies no problem you know and so, you see in life, we are not machines. If you just know something is bad for you, you calculate it is bad for you, therefore you will not do it. <laughs> Human beings are not like that. As a matter of fact, when some, something says, do not enter, do not touch, something in your mind said, I, I really want to enter. Can I just touch it just a little bit? <laughs> do not turn off this switch. Every other switch you will leave alone. That's the one. You're going to go near that one. <laughs> And touch that one. You just have to do it. (laughs) So now, and that's not a matter of the mind, that's a matter of the heart. But so you understand that first Allah says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَعْقِلُونَ So that you may apply your intellect, but in the language itself it's embedded, you're not going to be able to think clearly if your heart isn't in the right place. If you haven't been able to remove jealousy and and greed and other vices from your heart, you're not going to be able to think straight. Now, here's the next problem. The next problem is there are concerns of the heart and there are concerns of the mind. Those are two different sets of concerns. In other words, the heart's concerns are things that I mentioned. Some people are suffering from jealousy, from greed, from self, low self-esteem, lack of hope, sadness, fear, anxiety, anger. These are, these are matters of the heart and the Qur'an heals this stuff because Allah says, fihi shifa sudur. It is a healing for what lies inside of the chest. So Allah will tell you accounts of people who suffered from sadness, others who went through anger, others who went through fear, and Allah will teach you how they learn to cope. And so He'll teach you how to cope through their examples. Learning about them will actually give you hope. But on the other hand, these are not the only concerns, because this is not the only thing that makes decisions. At the end of the day, we also have a mind. It's not like the mind is absent, but the mind has a different set of questions. The mind has questions like, why does Islam have slavery? How come you're allowed to marry four wives? How come you're supposed to, how how come you're, the Quran talks about killing people? Or how come it says this or how come it says that? The, The mind has other sets of questions. They're not the same as the questions that come inside the heart. You know? And the thing is, the Quran and Islam itself diligently honors both of these faculties. It doesn't say that if you have one, you don't worry about the other. Allah doesn't say to somebody, for example, who says, I don't understand the issue of slavery. The Islamic response, the Qur'an's response isn't that that clearly means you're not praying enough fajr. Because if you made enough dua, then you wouldn't have this question. If you just stated wudu all the time, then the shaitan wouldn't come to you and ask you this question that you're asking me right now. That's not necessarily the case. It may be that some people have questions because their hearts are now messed up. It may be that those questions are now, shaitan's, op- you know, because you, when, you, when you let your heart slip, shaitan makes his way in. And when shaitan makes his way in, he doesn't just mess with your heart, now he starts messing with your mind. So he starts making you ask philosophical questions too. So the root may be something in the heart, but that still doesn't negate the fact that some people are absolutely genuine, they're just looking for the truth, and they have some very hard questions. And you cannot say, look at these kuffar, they have no iman in their heart, look at the kinds of questions they ask, you can't do that. Because one thing Allah never gave us the permission to have, or no access to, is what goes on inside somebody's heart. We, we, we don't know. We don't know what goes inside their hearts. So the, the genuine questions that are asked, the intellectual questions that are asked, and people have a lot of questions about Islam today. You know? And I'm not claiming to answer them in this series this time, but as they come in the Quran, we'll address some of them from the Qur'an's response. You'll notice the, that Allah's response to these questions is very interesting. It's actually, it's a combination I'd like to say of three things. It's reasonable, it appeals to the mind. Two, it's, it appeals to your heart. It actually appeals to your sense of justice, and fairness, and kindness, and mercy. It appeals to things that you naturally as a human being have inside of you. And the third, is that these Allah's answers to these questions are actually practical. They're not philosophical. They're not Quran is not idealistic, it's realistic. So whenever it deals with an issue, it deals with it in a in a realistic kind of way. Sometimes people that have a philosophical problem want an idealistic answer. The problem is human beings don't live in ideal reality. We live in a practical reality. And the Quran is actually not asking us to live in an ideal because he knows who he created. Allah <laughs> He gave us a practical reality to live in. So, it's pragmatic about these things. I'll just give you a small example of that because I'm going too far into the abstract. Just one small example. Telling the truth is good and lying is bad. But your philosophy professor can come to you on Philosophy Day 101. What if lying could save a thousand lives? Would it still be bad? And you'll be like, no, then it would be good. So then the follow-up question from your professor will be, so you're saying that there's no absolute principle that truth is good and lying is bad. And you're like, I guess. It's relative. It depends. I see. So then we understand that morality depends. There is no such thing as absolute morality. And this is like the first five minutes of philosophy class, and you're like, it depends. Next time my mom says I can't have a pork sandwich, I'll say it depends. Because you're like... (laughs) you know it just start your head starts spinning in a different direction what does the Quran do with something like this let's even a matter of truth and falsehood Would, for example just take this further part of lying is concealing evidence right that's what the Israelites are being guilty of right they're concealing evidence that's also lying having something and pretending you don't have it what did, what did Yusuf do with his brother how did he keep him in Egypt didn't he conceal evidence he actually didn't just conceal evidence, he planted evidence. He planted a cup in his bag, and then had him accused for stealing, and therefore had him detained. All of this, who did? Yusuf A.S. Astaghfirullah. If I didn't say Yusuf, if I said, is it okay for me to plant evidence in your car, and then call the cops and get you arrested, you'd say no. But I'd say, "That's the sunnah of Yusuf I'm doing it. (laughs) Uh, the thing is, what's remarkable in the ayat of Surah Yusuf is Allah says, Kadalika kidna li Yusuf." We made the scheme for Yusuf. Allah doesn't even say Yusuf did it. Allah says that entire scheme of incriminating his brother was hashed, carved by who? By Allah. In other words, the Quran is realistic, and Allah says in some cases. Doing what looks like a crime is preventing a much bigger problem. And in those cases, not only is it okay, it's the right thing to do. The Qur'an is not idealistic. I must speak the truth all the time, that is my brother. <laughs> the, the story wouldn't progress that way, guys. How did Musa alayhi get saved? His sister went up to the pharaoh, or the, 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 you know the maids of the pharaoh, and said, I think I know someone who might be able to help. You know someone who might be able to Some family I think I know, they might be able to take care of it. Whose family is she talking about? Her own. She didn't say, actually, that's like my brother, and his mom's like right over there, she's crying, so if you kindly could return the no, no. She lied. She did, she just said, ah, some family. You know, she hid the truth. But that's the right thing to do at that occasion there this is the quran what i'm trying to get at is it's three things it appeals to reason it repeal, it appeals to your fitra and it's practical it's realistic it looks at the entire picture because the world is not simply black and white it's not that way and so that's what allah azza wa jalla does in his book and so here coming back to this subject Kum ayatihi he shows you his miraculous signs so you can think and that thinking can only happen with a sound heart. But if you're not able to think, then most, most likely, the problem isn't that it's not making sense, probably the problem lies in your hearts. That's the most likely situation. Very few people have clean hearts, and only have you know, questions up here. It's most of the time, something's going on, not all the time, but most of the time. So what is the next ayah about? ثُمَّ قَسَتْ قُلُوبُكُمْ Look at the transition. Just now He said, hopefully you will think. And then He says, actually thereafter, your hearts had become hard. Even after seeing all of that. Even after seeing the miracles of Allah. And that, that it could be those people back in the day who saw the dead come back to life, their hearts became hard. But Allah could also well be commenting on the people in front of the Rasul of Allah wasallam, in Medina, who've seen so much Qur'an now, and they've seen all the evidence they need to see, and Allah says, your hearts became hard even after that. So He's actually commenting on a historical phenomenon, and a contemporary reality all at the same time. What reality is this that Allah is describing? He's describing that when the truth becomes absolutely clear in front of you, absolutely clear in front of you, and your heart, of heart in your heart of hearts, you testify that it is the truth, and you still turn away, then Allah punishes you with the worst punishment. And what is that punishment? He basically allows your heart to become hard. He'll, which means next time you see the truth, you will not even like it. Because liking or not liking is a matter of what? The heart. Whether you understand it or not, you won't benefit, it won't go inside. It won't affect you at all. Because the heart has become hard. Allah, Allah gives this punishment for those who come close to the book of Allah, come close to the miracles of Allah, and then, after having understood them, walk away from them. Those people, Allah is not easy on. Then your hearts became hard. Even after all of that. Mim ba'di dalik. Mim is actually like. لتعجب. Now, this idea of the heart becoming hard, Allah has already explained before. In the beginning, He just mentioned it, and we, we were left wondering. Khatam Allahu ala Allah has placed a seal on their hearts to seal something off. You know, if you, th- if you think about how rocks are formed over time they actually get much harder over time. They're not the same level of stiffness as they are look over hundreds of years, thousands of years, they get tougher and tougher and tougher, right? Now, what does Allah say? kal hijara. Your hearts are like rocks. Aw qaswa. So amazing. He didn't say Au aqsa. If it said Au aqsa, it would have meant your hearts became like stones or even harder. And a lot of translations say your hearts became like stone or even harder. But I want you to listen to this. Now what is it what does all of that Arabic stuff mean? What that Arabic stuff means is you know how a rock becomes harder over time? Allah says, not like rock. Actually, rocks get harder over time, but the way your hearts became harder over time is much harder than any rock could. The way your hearts fossilized is way worse. If he just said even harder, you're like, maybe he's talking about metal. He's not. He's saying hearts get, rocks get harder over time, and your hearts even stiffen more than any rock could. That's what he said, it's such a scathing criticism. Now, let's think about this idea of something becoming tougher and tougher and tougher. What does that mean? Something becoming The heart becoming hard. The harder something becomes, the more impossible it becomes to, for anything to go inside it, for it to be affected. Imagine there's the earth, which is soft soil, and there's a rock. It rains, it pours, it's sunny, it's dry, the earth changes, plants grow, plants die, there's a flood, things move. The one thing that stays in its place is what? Nothing is if... The winter didn't affect it, the summer didn't affect it, the rain didn't affect it, nothing moved this rock. Nothing moved this rock. The only thing you could do is crush it. That's all you could do. That's all it's good for. And so Allah says, you people became unaffected by anything. The heart becoming hard means no matter what advice is given to you, what is told to you, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And why Why even tougher than a rock? Why even say that? This is actually the Qur'an explaining itself. Allah says, لَوْ أَنزَلْنَا أَهَذَا Quran عَلَىٰ جَبَلْ Had we sent this Qur'an on a mountain, on a mountain, لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا You would have seen the mountain humble. Mutasaddian, Explode. Tear to pieces min خَشِيَةِ out of the fear of Allah. Musa salam, when he goes to meet with Allah jal. And he it speaks with Allah and one day he says, Rabbi Arini, Ya Allah, I just I really want to see you. Can I just take a look at you? And eventually Allah says, I can't show you myself, but I'll give you a little I'll show you what happens when my glory is manifest. And so what does he say? Falamma Rabbuhu lil Jabal, When his Lord manifested some of his glory to the mountain, Ja'alahu dakkan. He turned the mountain into something completely crushed flattened. وَخَرَّ مُوسَى سَعِقًا And Musa fell, just, he just fell unconscious as a result. In other words, heart, the, the, the Qur'an, the revelation, the light of Allah is so powerful, it can crush mountains. And that same light you are listening to, it goes and hits your hearts all the time and nothing happens. Nothing, even that can't get in. The word of Allah can't get inside your heart, how much harder do you want it? That's even the Quran, The mountains couldn't handle the word of Allah. They're not tough enough to allow to, the rejection of Allah's word. They not only let them in, they explode because they can't handle it. SubhanAllah. <laughs> but then, shh, little boys. Hey, you guys. Today's like daycare today. Anyway, <laughs> it's all good. وَإِنَّا مِنَ الْهِجَارَةِ Now Allah. So, so He says, you're, you're, You are actually worse than rocks, basically, right? That's the essential nutshell so far is. Your hearts became hard, but actually, like rocks, but actually no worse than rocks. But let me tell you about rocks. And so Allah now gives three examples of rocks. Three, kind, three images of rocks. And by doing so, He's talking about not these people, but better people than them. Other people are being, our heart, everybody else's heart is being compared to normal rocks. Theirs is being compared to impenetrable rocks. So now what are these other three kinds of hearts? There are three kinds of rocks. That's, I just gave it away. In talking about three kinds of rocks, Allah will actually be describing three kinds of hearts. That's what He's actually talking about in these ayat. So what's the first kind of rock? Wa inna min and no doubt, out of some rocks, there is the kind, Lamayyat Fabjuru, that truly does explode. It bursts open. What bursts open? Minhul anhar. Rivers just gush out of it. Rivers gush out of certain rocks. There's a rock that's been, you know, water's been brewing inside of it, inside of it, inside of it, inside of it, and eventually it can't take the pressure, it's up on top of a mountain, you don't know there's a river behind it, filling it up, filling it up, filling it up, and eventually it just burst, bursts open, and an entire river comes out of it. You know, يَتَفَجَّرُ minhu Or the idea of entire glaciers falling and then a river flood coming through, right? That's one kind of rock. The second kind of rock, he says, وَإِنَّا مِنْهَا لَمَا فَيَخْرُجُ مِنْهُ الماء. Among them are those that crack open and water comes out. This one doesn't explode open, it only cracks open. يَشَّقَّقُوا is actually from يَتَشَّقَّقُوا. The ta is mudgham, that's why it becomes the shaddah on the sheen. Which actually means, over time, it just cracks, it can't bear any more weight and it just cracks open. Like it's been meaning to crack all this time. And Allah says, فَيَخْرُجُ مِنْهُ الْمَاءِ and water comes out of it. In other words, it's not exploding with a river. The second one is lesser water, but there's still water. So now there's two images in front of us. A rock exploding, turning into a river, flooding out. And another rock that cracks open, and you find water inside. Or a little spring comes out. Wa مِنْهَا لَمَا يَهْبِطُوا مِنْ خَشْيَةِ And among them are those that fall from the fear of Allah. Rocks that fall from the fear of Allah. There's a lot to talk about here, so let's take a step back. How many kinds of rocks? Three. It's actually three kinds of hearts, not three kinds of rocks. The parable is that of hearts. So in order for you to understand this, I'll give you like non religious examples first, that's okay, and then we'll come back to the text. You have some people in life that have very, they're very thought provoking. Like very thoughtful, philosophical type people. They're usually quiet, thinking, reading books. When they talk, they talk about what they read or what they were wondering about. And they're not very fun company. Unless you're a nerd like them, they're not very fun company. Okay, That's one kind of person. And these are people that don't have, you notice their pursuit in life is just knowledge or you know, wisdom and whether they're believers or not, that's the kind of personality. I mean, even in, among your circles, there might be some people like that. Very scholarly type people. People assume sometimes that I'm scholarly. <laughs> I'm not. But there are I know people like that, that are extremely scholarly. They don't know how to turn off that switch. They're always in that zone. right? Some of those people end up becoming writers, authors. Some become poets. Some become philosophers, etc. Right? That's the kind of personality. Those kinds of people, when they're looking for the truth, the, the second they see the truth, you know what happens? they jump on it. They accept it right away. There was all this goodness inside them already, it just gushes out of them. There's no hesitation whatsoever. In the life of the Prophet ﷺ, you can think of someone like Abu Bakr, As-Siddiq, radiallahu anhu. There's no convincing period, there's no like long arguments, there's nothing. Everything you needed for this, the, the water by the way, represents Iman inside the heart. Allah, Allah put the ruh inside the heart that is pure, what we are made of is something pure, and ma is also water that's pure, excessively pure. So Allah is now describing people that have this purity inside of them, and they didn't let it get corrupted. And as a result, when Allah Allah brought them revelation, it just burst out of them. It's interesting that a lot of times, water, th- these rocks are affected by water. Meaning this rock was about to burst open, but constant dripping of water from above, it kind of over time it makes a dent in the water, it eventually weakens it to the point where it just bursts open, right? And that's pretty amazing because the water is also compared, rain is also compared to Revelation. And the the inside of our heart is also compared with water. What we have inside is something pure. So anyway, there's that kind of person. And then the second kind of person, وَإِنَّ مِنْهَا لَمَا يَشَقَّقْ The second kind of person is kind of an outgoing personality. So I'll tell you a silly story I used to tell when I used to teach divine speech. Some of you might remember it. That's okay, I don't care. Um, I have two friends. One of my friends is very quiet, and the the reader type, and the other friend is extremely outgoing. This guy does not know how to sit still. He, it's either he's playing a video game, or he's playing basketball, or he needs to go outside, or he needs to go, like, every time he's, every five minutes he's testing you, hey, what are you doing? Want to go out? Want to hang out? Want to do something? Uh, I'm bored. I need to do something. Like, if you just sit two minutes still, they're like, I I need to get out of here. I can't, I can't be here right now. They, just, they have to be in motion all the time. These are the kinds of guys that are like, let's go on a road trip. Let's go see a movie. Let's go play ball. Let's go eat. Let's go eat again. <laughs> Everybody's tired. They're driving home. This guy's like, yo, you want to do something else, guys? <laughs> no, just go home. Just go home. That's the guy. And then there's this other guy. Who's the reader? The quiet mystical, spiritual, philosophical type. That is just... He just sits in the car. Everybody else is making stupid jokes. He's just staring in the sky (laughs) and pondering over the stars. You guys are on a road trip together. You're going to some convention. And the guy who's philosophical, quiet for three hours. Three hours later, he says, have you ever wondered about the stars? (laughs) And the guy next to him says, Your other jittery friend says, no, but I've wondered, there was a McDonald's sign. (laughs) (laughs) I think the exit is two miles away. (laughs) You can't take it. So you guys go to the convention together. And in the convention, there's different kinds of speeches. There's this three-hour workshop on Hadith science. Guess who's interested? Actually, they changed the schedule, made it four hours. Guess who's really happy right now? The philosopher, the philosopher is like, oh, mashallah, this is. I brought three notebooks, four different color pens. I, this is an aid for me. <laughs> and he gets the other guy, and says, "You have to come with me to this. The sheikh is amazing. His ijazat are unbelievable. Let's sit in the front. Four hours. What's the guy next to him doing? You know, the the movement oriented. You know, he's texting. He's like." <laughs> like, uh, you know, can I, can, I, can I get out of here? Can, can we just please? Four hours later, one of them is just so happy. This was the greatest day of my life. It's so amazing. Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that amazing? And the guy next to him just wanted to punch him in the face. Like, you just destroyed four hours of my life. I just came to this convention for one thing the bazaar, <laughs> the food stall, to be exact. But then later on that night, there's a speech being given by, you know, like Imam Siraj Wahaj back in the day. Imam Siraj, old friend of mine, that's why I can make jokes about him, because he doesn't spare me either. But Imam Siraj, you know, his speeches, they'll make you a better Muslim, but you won't know why. <laughs> I, I will lie, I used to go, when I was in college, I used to take the train to go to his, his khutbahs in Brooklyn, because man, once he gets up on the member, it's like lights, camera, action, bro. It is awesome. And he had two bodyguards on either side, the member back in the day, because people would be messing around, and they're keeping an eye on the crowd, who's going to talk during the Jumu'ah. And if somebody's talking, usually a desi, I don't know why, (laughs) he'll just, big brother walk over, you need to be quiet during the khutbah. And he's like, oh, (laughs) I didn't get in place. But anyway, Imam Siraj, when he gives a khutbah, you know, there's like pounding and intonation, and there's this like, emotional roller coaster and. He can say anything and it'll excite you. He's like, one time he gave a, this speech and said, like, "When I was a child, I had a dog." And one guy goes, stuck me!" I'm like, oh. But I'm saying it's it's pretty. Like you come out of that speech, your hairs like flip back. You're like, "That was amazing. I'm so Muslim now." You know, like. So the idea is that now this, this other friend of yours says, you made me suffer through this four-hour, call it Imam Siraj Wahaj is speaking tonight, we're going to that one. And the nerdy friend goes, what's the topic? <laughs> and he goes, the topic is, Imam Siraj, you're coming! <laughs> and that's the guy who said takbir when he had a dog. <laughs> <All right. laughs> what I'm trying to get at, is there are different personalities. And the guy who's, you know, kind of not easily entertained, he listens to a speech like that and he says, That was the greatest thing in my life. I'm finally like wanna be Muslim now. And the other guy goes, I don't understand. What did the dog have to do with anything? Or like I was trying to take notes but I I, I stopped halfway because I was confused and you know. There's this they're, they're from two different worlds. They're from two different worlds. And that's actually true of people in general. Not everybody is drawn to the same thing. Not ev- there are people that are so like, they're, they study Qur'an, they can't stand listening to anything I have to say. It's not academic enough. It's not ilmi enough. Like they need to sit in the company of a shaykh, go through riwayat, go through multiple tafasir, study the jahili shi'ir, and that's good for them. But they're the, they're the, they're the vast minority of humanity. They're, they're, they're the few and far between and good for them. The rest of you, there's guys that I know, that they email me, they say, I'm listening to you for an hour, I'm hoping when do you get stupid. Like, when do you crack a joke? I just wait for that part. <laughs> That's what they're waiting for. That's okay, at least you're listening. Maybe something will go in by accident, I don't know. Right? Now here's the thing. Umar bin al-Khattab, as opposed to Abu Bakr siddiq Umar radiallahu anhu, hunting, hanging out, chilling, Getting into fights sometimes. He's a very active personality. Hamza, very active personality. How does someone come to Islam from that side? They're too distracted. Their heart is all over the place. Their heart is in the hunt, the fight, the tribal matters. This, that, the other. You know, Islam. You can. You, somebody will be drawn to Islam by reason, by this. You know, when this is you, this, uh, Islam draws you by this. When your heart is already settled, like Abu Bakr Siddiq. But if your heart is all over the place, and it gets distracted by this, then by this, then by this, then by this, then you need something that will not sh- challenge your mind, you need something that will shake your heart. It will just shake your heart, because your heart is not ready to open up. Like the first rock just it was ready to open up on its own. The second rock has to be hit, and then it cracks open. How does Umar come to Islam? It's not an intellectual journey. These are emotional experiences, Baab Islam, the Umar bin al Khattab in Sahih al Bukhari mentions that he actually went to try to at least beat up, possibly kill the Prophet sallam, when he left his house. And he hid behind the veil of the Kaaba on the one side. Rasul is praying, he's sneaking around until he's literally right in front of him in the dark night, and the Prophet does not know that he's praying, and Umar is hiding behind the ghilaf about to jump out and attack him. And Rasul is reciting Quran, and he says, just he thought to himself, this is some good poetry. I mean, I'm about to kill him, but he is, this is good. And, Rasul, and he didn't say this out loud, he just thought it. And Rasul ﷺ recited, وَمَا هُوَ بِقَوْلِ شَاعِرٍ قَلِيلًا مَا تُؤْمِنُونَ It's not the word of a poet, how little do you believe? And he's like, he could read a mind? And Allah says, وَلَا بِقَوْلِ كَاهِنٍ قَلِيلًا مَا تَذَكَّرُونَ It's not the word of a mind reader. How little an effort you make to Remember? what is it? Min Revelation from the Master of all nations and all peoples. He ran away. That wasn't an intellectual experience. That was an emotionally shocking experience for Umar radiallahu anhu. Some people need to be rattled, shaken. There are some people in this room today that would not have been in the masjid if something crazy didn't happen in their life. Some car accident, Some they got arrested, they got beat up, they got something horrible happened to their family. And then they realized, I better change. Something hit them and the and the rock cracked open. There are some people, no khutbah can change them, no advice, no sermon, no seminar, no book, no pamphlet. But something happened to them one day or somebody said something to them one day and that was it. I love how Hamza came to Islam. Anhu. All the da'wah of the Qur'an, eh, you beat up my nephew? Somebody beat up Rasulullah. He goes to him. He goes to and Says, You beat up my nephew, you hit my nephew. Yeah. He punches him on the head and says, I'm Muslim too. What are you going to do now? He got angry that his nephew was attacked and was one of the main drivers for his Islam. It's an emotional dis- and that's not to say his Islam didn't mature. But people come into Islam for different reasons. They come for different reasons. The rock will open, God knows what hits it, and it opens. And so there are people even today that will come to the religion for very, very different reasons. They don't have one pathway. So there are different kinds of rocks. But the most interesting of rocks is the last one. To me, that's the most interesting one. Because to me, that actually is an expression of the majority of the Muslims. وَإِنَّ مِنْهَا لَمَا yahbitu. Among them is the one that falls down and yahbitu is a reminder of ihbitu 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 three times already twice for adam once for banu israel and now once again ihbitu descend fall humble yourselves be humbled why bin khashiyatillah rocks that fall from the fear of allah this is actually very this is where the switch happens that i talked to you about before it could be translated rocks that fall fall like a landslide or an earthquake and the rocks on top of a mountain are just falling down. Like if you've traveled, if you've d- done a road trip in California in ro- rocky areas or something, you might see a sign, falling rocks. Be careful. By the way, if a rock's falling, there's no way you can be careful. <laughs> it's just going <laughs> to fall on you. You're not going to see it coming. But anyway, you know. But the idea of an earthquake or a landslide and then rocks descending, that's the image. But you know the minha, wa inna minha la yahbitu min the ha can actually go back to Qulub also in the ayah. There are hearts that fall down from the fear of Allah as our hearts descend into ruku'r and our hearts descend into sujood every single prayer. What are they actually doing? They're falling, little, physically the heart is falling for the fear of Allah. It falls from a stand to, a, to this position and then all the way down. We descend for the, out of the fear of Allah. You know, there's this humility before Allah. Now, if you go back, three kinds of rocks, right? But the third one, there's something weird about it. It sticks out because it does fall, but it doesn't break. Because there's no water that came out. Remember? But the thing is, imagine this image. Rocks falling from a height. What are the chances that rock falls from a height and hits the ground? What's gonna happen? What might happen? It might crack. There's hope given, isn't it? There's hope given. And what does that hope represent? It represents people that are trying to worship Allah, they're trying to become Muslim, they're trying to hold on to their faith, obeying Allah, but they still haven't... No water... Watch the the screen, or watch me. No water has come out of the rock yet. Because this rock, you know where the water comes from? It comes from here. It hasn't happened yet. But you keep on falling. Because if you keep on falling, eventually it might what? it'll break and it'll come out. What Allah has said in these three rocks, is actually the three states of the of the faith of a believer. There's Ihsan, there's Iman, and there's Islam. Ihsan and Iman are spiritual states. The highest of spiritual states is like the river gushing out. At least some faith in your heart, some Iman in your heart that you can feel is Iman. At least something comes out. But then the third case, Man, I'm trying to pray, I make wudu. I come to the masjid, I just don't feel it yet. I don't know why I can't feel anything. I don't feel like my iman is going up. I'm reciting Qur'an, but I'm feeling a spiritual emptiness. What should I do? The answer comes in Surah Al-Hujurat, وَإِن اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ لَا يَلِدْكُمْ مِنْ أَعْمَالِكُمْ Shay'ah, people say we have iman, tell them you don't have iman, you just have Islam. Iman hasn't entered your hearts yet, like water hasn't come into your rocks yet. But if you keep obeying Allah and His Messenger, He won't let any of that go to waste. In other words, keep on falling, keep on falling, and if you keep doing so, Allah will not waste those things. You're gonna say to yourself, you could say to yourself, I pray, but I don't feel anything. Is this prayer even accepted? And Allah says, He won't let that go to waste. And eventually He will soften this rock of yours enough. It just needs more it needs more hits right now. And it will hit enough times, you'll fall enough times. And Allah Azza will open it, and water will come forth. The iman will come out. اللَّهُ amma And Allah is not unaware of the uh, the things you do. It's amazing that the ayah as the time ends, the ayah ends with amma Allah doesn't is not unaware of the things that you do. Why why is doing mentioned? Everything was about the hearts because that last part was about doing, falling, descending. The Israelites were just told a few ayat ago, اِرْكَعُوا fall in Rukur. Now the hearts must fall out of the fear of Allah, meaning this is an ishara in the ayah towards prayer. Pray. Allah knows what you do, He's not unaware of what you do. When you're skipping prayers and not not taking care of your prayers, and then you're wondering why there's a spiritual emptiness in your life, Allah is not unaware of what you're doing. And on the flip side, Allah is not unaware when you're trying and you're not succeeding. Allah is aware that you're trying. He knows that you're trying, keep on going. وَمَا اللَّهُ بِغَافِلٍ عَمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ وَتَارَ إِن شَاءَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى إِخْوَتِي جَزَ بَارَكَ اللَّهُ لِي وَلَكُمْ فِي الْقُرْآنِ الْحَكِيمِ وَنَفَعَنِي وَإِيَّاكُمْ بِالْآيَاتِ وَالذِّكْرِ الْحَكِيمِ وَالسَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَبَرَكَاتُهُ